You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Dear Culture, the podcast for, by, and about the culture here on the Griot Black Podcast Network. I'm your host, Panama Jackson, and it's 2024 in African America. That means today, this podcast, we're going to be talking about some of the blackest moments of 2023. And I can't do that with anybody but one of the people who specializes in discussing black culture. Because you know what they say, those who don't learn from the past are doomed to repeat it. I don't know who said that. I don't know who they is, but let's just call it an old African proverb for the sake of moving along. Our guest today is none other than noted white peopleologist. He's an author. He is the the host of the Griot Daily with Michael Harriet podcast here on the Griot Black Podcast Network and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Black AF History. You know who I'm talking about. He's one of the most famous black people in the culture right now doing it. My homie, my friend, none other than Michael Harriet. How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. How are you? Man, I am awesome. I am great. Uh, And I'm excited to talk about some very black moments of 2023. I want to start with the blackest story of 2023. You got to come in hot which would be nothing other than the Montgomery Riverboat Brawl and the hat toss heard around the world. Do you remember where we were when this story popped? Yeah, you said where we were because it's funny because we were together. Um, we were at the National Association of Black Journalists uh, annual conference and yep. it happened on that Saturday. So I woke up that Sunday after hanging out with you and my phone had blown up. Um, the listeners might not know that, like I, until very recently, I lived in Alabama. I went to uh, undergrad in Alabama, so like I have a lot of friends in Alabama, and specifically from Montgomery. And the Montgomery people were texting me like, "Have you seen this?" Um, and that's when the videos were first coming out. And oh, what a time we had um, watching those videos, man! Um, it was like the uh, F around had just passed and everybody got to see the find out portion of it. So, yeah, we we were together when the Montgomery Riverboat uh, brawl happened. I remember the T-shirts, every people walking around buying folding chairs. Um, and for those that don't know, the Riverboat brawl, there was it was I mean, if you don't know, I don't know how you would be listening to this podcast in and of itself like this. If you listen to this podcast, this would not be the, your first time hearing this, but, you know, some white folks got into it with a black dude who threw his hat. And next thing you know, all the black people in the vicinity realized it was on. And all of a sudden, a brawl broke out. People got thrown in water. Um, it was beautiful. In the annals of of civil rights history, and Alabama is home to a ton of civil rights history, there needs to be a mural dedicated to the Montgomery Riverboat Brawl of 2023 somewhere. I don't know where they can put it. But it's got to be on. It's got to be in the litany of of things that we talk about in Alabama history in high schools. I think that's uh that that it has to go right beside the the Selma to Montgomery march. Remember what happened in Selma? They were marching to Montgomery. Maybe the riverboat uh, brawl, the fade on the water, was what was going to happen if they would have actually reached the Montgomery on Bloody Sunday, man. Maybe it was just like you know, sixty years too late, and we finally got to see it. So uh, I think it was like we got to witness history and it was a very, very satisfying event. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So speaking of satisfying events, and I'm going to move around and hop around, let's talk about Usher, the menace that he is 
and all of the homes that he's trying to break up, uh, celebrity and, and, and regular people alike. Usher's been doing this residency in Vegas. It feels like he's been there all year. I actually don't even know how long this, this uh, performance thing has been going on. Uh, but everybody I know has been there. Everybody flying to Vegas every weekend. People we know were in Vegas. And in his show, he serenades people. So he serenaded celebrities, regular folks, people that I know have been had put pictures up of themselves being sung to by Usher. And this was just a thing at one point. And then it took a turn when Kiki Palmer, Kiki Palmer gets sung to by Usher. And then her baby daddy, Darius Jackson, hops in there talking about you a mom. You, you shouldn't be acting like this. You shouldn't be doing this. And that basically launched a million memes and tweets and everything uh i'm not saying this is the second biggest story of 2023 but it was quite a story man what 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 are your thoughts on uh usher ruining households and and not that one apparently that one needed to be ruined but for other for other people other people ushers out here singing and, and, and uh making insecure men mad you know what are your thoughts on usher's vegas residency and his serenades well, as someone who can't sing, um, you know, that's one hole in my resume, one of the biggest holes in my resume. I feel like Usher it exemplifies what all dudes think they how they would act if they could sing. Like, if I could sing, I'm going to sing to your girl, man. I'm sorry. Like, I'm going to sing to your girl. If she come to my show and she sits on stage close to me, I'm going to sing to her, right? Especially if she got a onesie on. Right. And and, you know, they're getting dialed up because, look, in 2023, the women who were at Usher's show, they had on their sexiest, best outfits. That was the sexiest they were going to look in all of 2023, maybe all of their lives. And you are 15, 10 feet away from me. And I got on some fingerless gloves and a microphone in my hand. You know I'm going to sing to you. So I feel like we can't blame Usher for any of this, man. No. We can't blame anyone because if I if I am a woman who gets the chance to sit feet away from the R&B icon of my generation, I'm going to look my best and I'm going to show out, man. It don't mean anything. I'm just, you know, we're living the dream. Everybody's living the dream. Usher's living the dream. He's living my dreams. The women are living their dreams. And none of them women are even trying to go home with Usher, man. They just want to be the girl in the song who Usher's singing to for just a few minutes. Uh, you ain't doing nothing but preaching right now. And, you know, there's for, two things popped into my mind. One. I don't know if there's enough serenade. Like our, the R&B shows, where are the R&B shows now where people walk into the crowd and do that kind of thing? It seems like something that was probably popular in the 90s when you had like very popular lead front men or, or singers walking into the crowd singing. But this also happened in the Five Heartbeats. If you remember Eddie King Jr. saying to the woman in the front row and, and you know, she passed out. I wonder, right. if Usher, I wonder if Usher watched that movie before he before the first time he did that. I have a theory on this, man. You know what this is about? Like when you talk about Eddie King Jr., you talk about Usher, you talk about Casey and JoJo from um, Jodeci, even back to Stevie Wonder. R&B male singers don't sing with tight necks anymore. Remember how when they used to their necks used to get tight and used to see their uh, their arteries in their yeah, neck and they just like uh, and they used to wave their hand. Nobody does that anymore. And Usher is the last of the tight neck singers, 
And we have to celebrate that. We have to honor that, man. And 2023 was the, you know, the last time we'll probably get to see any of the tight neck singers who are still in their prime or their vocal prime, man. And we, and we can't just let that go by without signaling what was important for our generation. So I applaud Usher for representing the tight neck singers from the past and the present. And we'd be remiss if we did not mention that Tiki Palmer was in Usher's vo uh, video for Boyfriend. So it was like the ultimate troll mood. After that point, it was just like, first off, hands down to Kiki Palmer. I mean, uh, you know, hand claps to Kiki Palmer for for being amazing and um, giving us something to talk about, especially for all the men out there, the dusty men who thought that she was inappropriately dressed and had no business being sung to by Usher in the first place. You got you got to love how these things happen. But speaking of a tour, can't talk about 2023 without talking about uh, possibly one of the greatest tours of all time. Beyonce's Renaissance tour. Did you go see that tour? No, man. I, I, I could, you know, I can't uh, mortgage my house to to go see Beyonce, but uh, no, I didn't get to go see it. I have nothing to prove to anyone at this point. We are creating our own world. Where do you think this tour then cements Beyonce's, I think her legacy was kind of always cemented at some point, but like a tour that is this significant, this important, that was visually such a big thing. Like, where do you think this, does this do anything for her legacy out that hasn't already been done? Yeah, I think like, so this tour is probably this generation. Don't you think this tour is this generation's victory tour? It was the greatest tour event of Michael Jackson's career. Like everybody wanted to see it. And the people who went to Beyonce's tour probably are a little bit past the generation of the Victory Tour. So this was their chance, right, to go see that tour. And, and I also want to point out, right, like Beyonce did that tour during a time where, you know, musicians don't make any money from selling records. So, you know, you got to pay. She has to earn money for, for, for something, right? And this is how musicians and artists earn money now by going on tour and doing live shows. So like, I feel like it wasn't that expensive if you calculate that you got all those albums for free, right? So I feel like, you know, what, what people got to see with Beyonce was kind of her magnum opus, right? Like the tour that everybody will be telling their grandchildren about. And a lot of people took their grandchildren. It was grandmothers there with their grandchildren to see Beyonce, which is saying something in this day and age where music is so much of the moment. Absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned it as kind of her magnum opus like moment, because I think we've seen this significant increase in like the artistry of Beyonce since you know when she first when she first went solo I don't think anybody thought I remember there was there was that famous article that said like Beyonce ain't Ashanti right there was this idea that Beyonce what Beyonce was bringing to the table wasn't significant enough to last or be that kind of thing that endures and then but over time she's gotten more and more personal and then this all changed when she dropped that self-titled album that was like the most personal thing to date and from then she just like I'm just gonna do me and then she became this like real artist of artists type, culminating with what I think is her magnum opus to this point in Renaissance. And um, fantastic album. You know, people 
we've everything that's been said it was out in 2022 so everything needs to be said about that has been said but i'll be really curious where she goes from here like where do you go when you when you're still at the point in your early 40s making the seminal albums in your career you know what i'm saying like this is it's kind of unprecedented most people make those albums earlier in their career but where she's kind of moving in that direction at this point so i think what beyonce is going and this is this is where she's got to go She's got to go to Vegas and sing to people's husbands, right? Like she's got to go serenade people's husbands. And I think that's the only way that this comes full circle. Time for a quick break. Stay with us. Y'all, come look at what Michael Harriet just posted. Black Twitter, come get your man. It's his podcast episodes for me. I was today years old when I found out Michael Harriet had a podcast. Subscribed. I'm world-famous white peopleologist Michael Harriet, and this is The Griot Daily. That's right. The Black Twitter King has a podcast, The Griot Daily with Michael Harriet, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on the Griot Black Podcast Network and accessible wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we're back. So let's talk about people doing things that, that haven't been done before. Halle Bailey plays Ariel in The Little Mermaid and pisses off all of America. Well, all of white America. Black people were just fine with this. Something about you seems different. I can't quite figure it out. She got legs, you idiot. I love this because I love that people, people are so upset about a thing that doesn't even exist. A storybook version of something and they're upset that a cartoon turned into a live action gets played by a black person. And they're like, nah, that can't be a thing. That's impossible. Did you write about this? I felt like you might have wrote something about this. Did you write about yeah, Halle man. Berry? Yeah, good. Yeah, because, you know, first of all, like people were mad about Holly Bailey. And you got to put it in context with like it was a black Targaryen who rolled dragons. People were mad about that. Right. It was a black it was black elves in the Lord of the Rings. People were mad about that. Like so like I think that 2023 was the year that they people just stopped hating on black people in reality. They started hating even on fictional black people. And and that was a, a real big moment for us that we uh, we encountered racism in the fictional universe and make we got make believe racism. And I think that was a real big advancement for white people. Right. Like to imagine racism, not just where there wasn't one. Was, wasn't any, but to create racism out of nothing. Science fiction racism is the highest form of racism. And I think that's what Holly Bailey told us in, uh, in, in 2023. This is going to be ridiculous what I'm about to say, but you ever like, you be in the hood and you see like dogs or stuff, like stray dogs. Do you ever wonder like, do those dogs know that they black? Like they're in the black, the black part of town. So like, are mermaids only in places where white people would be? Like, you don't think there's any black mermaids off the coast of, like, South Africa or something like that? There's just... Like, where would the mermaids be in the first place? Well, you got to go back in history to sea lining, right? It's like red lining in the sea, right? So <laughs> the black mermaids were in the Caribbean, off the coast of Africa, right? Um, that's where the black mermaids were. And until they... they um, did a, a mermaid version of Jim Crow, man, an underwater version of Jim Crow, black and white mermaids lived in harmony. So this isn't our fault. It's not Holly Bailey's fault. It's not Disney's fault, man. It's the fault of sea lining. Or history. Yeah, basically people right. don't read history books. That's, 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 the, that's the main bullet point. This is going to be a completely different segue too, but something that 
we're speaking about uh artists and people who are substantial and huge in the culture and the community and the roarious uh uproar they cause rihanna at the super bowl does this high-flying uh, Super Bowl performance that a lot of people thought was super boring, despite the fact that it was also a pregnancy reveal. I remember the conversations around it. I think we had a conversation, you, me, and and our colleague, Touré, about whether it was an exciting or interesting Super Bowl performance. But it got the people talking. I mean, that was February. That was a, that was a big deal at the beginning of the year. Everybody talking about Rihanna's Super Bowl performance. You remember that? Yeah, I remember it, man. I think the, the most disappointing thing about that that Super Bowl performance was that we thought it was like a, the preceding a new Rihanna album and it was just preceding a new uh, version of Rihanna, a new kid from Rihanna. So like we thought she was pregnant with an album and she was pregnant with an actual human being. But that Rihanna uh, performance, it's still uh, better than like, like remember Lady Gaga? Like Lady, when the last time you heard from Lady Gaga? And she performed at the Super Bowl, man. Like she was a, a cultural icon, right? Maybe Lady Gaga doing the same thing that Rihanna did, making them, making the white people who like meat dresses wait for a, a new album, man. So I think that that Rihanna's performance at the Super Bowl, because it's so late in the year that we forgot it, but it wasn't boring. It was just disappointing because we thought we was going to get some more Rihanna stuff this year. And it's a reminder that the Super Bowls are all pretty black right now. So Usher, the menace in Vegas will now have the opportunity to serenade the nation through your television screen. So <laughs> husbands hold your wives during the Super Bowl show and watch out because who knows if she get up and walk out, you know where she's heading to. She's trying to get to Usher. Um, but yeah, I mean, there has been some pretty black Super Bowl performers at this point. You think we're just going, you think we're just blacking out from here or not? Has Jay-Z done his job? Has he, has Jay-Z acquitted himself for aligning himself with the NFL to do the Super Bowl shows and stuff? I feel like Jay-Z just doing his job, man. Like, who else? Are they, like, besides Taylor Swift, ain't no more white music. Like, like Taylor Swift is carrying the burden for all white music right now. Like, besides that dude who made the, the, uh, Try that in a small town. It's just him and Taylor Swift right now. Uh, Jason Aldean. It's just him and Taylor Swift making white music and all the other music is black. Right. So who else are they going to get? Um, you know, I, some Waylon Jennings. Is Waylon Jennings still alive? I don't know. I don't but know. regardless of that, like, I just can't wait to see Usher sing to some white people's wives and just throw the whole universe out of balance. Or even better, what if Usher sings to a black mermaid? I think that will be a fitting stamp to this uh, black era of Super Bowls. Don't you have enough jobs? Now you're trying to take somebody else's job over here with the uh, the Super Bowl planning committee because that's a brilliant idea. Um, talk about ripping the ripping the universe in, in in two. That would be awesome. Time for a quick break. Stay with us. I'm Torre. Join us for crazy true stories about stars who I really hung out with, like Snoop, Jay-Z, Prince, Kanye, and the time I got kidnapped by Suge Knight. Don't miss my animated series, Star Stories with Torre, from the Griot Black Podcast Network. And we're back. Speaking of football... There is no discussion about football without discussing Deion Sanders. So Deion Sanders was a huge story in the past few years down in Jackson State when he was the head coach of Jackson State, where he basically uh, took, a, took a program, 
they were winning. And then he flips the script and takes a job at Colorado, at the University of Colorado in Boulder. Lots of us were pissed off about this. I think we felt like Dion personally owed us something. I don't know why we felt this way. But it's like, oh, he leaving the HBCU to go work with the white man. Uh, but uh, his contract was huge. So I guess we all kind of had to understand this thing. He he gets to Colorado. They win like their first three games, I believe. Barely, but they did win those games, right? And people were like, man, Dion done came over here and worked some magic. Well, the magic kind of petered out, right? Like at some point, your team, if your team's not that good, it's going to be exposed. That's kind of what happened. I think I think the, the, buff, the, the buffs went like four and six or four and seven. Got to be known as a disappointing season. Uh, maybe, depending on how you look at it, right? Like Colorado was one in like 10 or one in 11, uh, one in 10 last year. Now they won four games, whole new team, but they did, they did, you know, uh, elevate in terms of their win totals. But this made Deion Sanders like the sportsman of the year. He's a sports person of the year because every conversation revolved around Deion Sanders, especially when it came to college football. Can you imagine if Deion Sanders had somehow got this team into a bowl or much less into this college football playoff somehow? So Deion Sanders, one of the biggest black stories of 2023. What's your thoughts on Deion Sanders? Yeah, so Deion Sanders, first of all, he made people care about HBCU football and trash white people football. Because, like, Colorado, by all, like, if Deion Sanders wasn't there, first of all, nobody else in the world was going to do with Colorado what Deion Sanders Absolutely. did with it, right? It wasn't like D, like Nick Saban could have gone there and they would have won four games, right? So he did his job as a coach. But he made people care about a team that really wasn't good. Like, they, he got people on a bandwagon that was going nowhere, which is why you hired Deion Sanders, right? Because Colorado know they wasn't going to go, like, 11-0 or get into uh, the, the college football playoffs. They just wanted to be relevant. And Deion made them relevant because of his ties to the culture. So he did his job, right? And... He also left the memory and, and people having this conversation about HBCU football. Is it still relevant? Um, can HBC, what does HBCU football look like in the version, in the, you know, the new dynamic of big time football? So he, he really did a, a good thing for both cultures. And like, we can't just judge him of wins and losses because college football is, is a money game, right? It's capitalism. It exists in a in a capitalist system. And he made money for both sides of the coin. So Deion Sanders did a great thing. And all he had to give up was like a couple of toes for it. So I think like we have to applaud him, what he did, and 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 celebrate him, even if he can't sing. You didn't have to talk about my man toes like that. You you really didn't have to do that. That wasn't even right. That's that 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 wasn't even right. Um, he also managed to bring all manner of rapper. Now it's funny. All these rappers stopped coming when they started losing. Because early on, remember every every he he had like Lil Wayne bringing up. Everybody was showing up in Boulder. Like Boulder was like the lit city for a little while. I, this is this is what it must have felt like when Kanye showed up to Cody, Wyoming, and had all the people flying in and out of Cody. Like like there's all these famous people around all of a sudden. That must be what Boulder felt like for a little while. Yeah, it's 
it was like the, you know, every city has that club that opens it, be hot for a little while, and then everybody stops going, everybody forgets about it when somebody got shot in the parking lot. Somebody got shot in the parking lot of, of Boulder, Colorado, and then everybody stopped going to that club. But for a minute, it was popping, I ain't gonna lie. Absolutely. Uh, speaking of rappers in Boulder, this year, August 2023, was the uh, official celebration of 50 years of hip-hop, uh, a genre of music that means everything to me and you as well. Uh, what do you think about all the celebrations of, of hip hop? Cause I, I gotta be honest for, for a genre that matters so much, it really didn't feel like it was as big of a deal as it should have been. Like it, it felt like it, maybe it's because it was just, they tried to spread all these concert outs over the course of the year. Like, I didn't feel like there was like that one essential like thing, but I felt like eh, 50 years of hip hop, we said it all the time, but I really didn't feel like the, my God, this genre that literally changed the world is being fully recognized for, for what it is. Uh, what are your thoughts? Right. I, I feel the same way. Plus, you know, I think in all of this celebration, one thing that was rarely mentioned is that how hip hop was ostracized, like how hated it was and how um, they try to kind of make hip hop illegal at the beginning, right? I've said from the beginning that this music is drug driven, greed driven, and violence driven. Rap music, rap music, gangster rap songs that debase women, degrades the value of life, promotion of drugs and violence, violent pornographic, derogatory lyrics about women and minorities, explicit sexual or violent lyrics. And now it's, it's weird to see this full embracing of hip hop like everybody knew of its importance from the beginning, right? Like I was at the White House at a celebration for hip hop, which is incredible. Cause like I, like two, I witnessed with my own eyes, too short singing on the White House lawn and asking people what his favorite word is and everybody knew it, which is kind of symbolic of how far hip hop has come, right? But it's also like amazing when you think about how like hip hop was the destruction of society when it came out. It was going to, you know, cause the, 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 the destruction of Western civilization and it was going to make us more violent and America's really actually statistically less violent than it has ever been. And it was going to make people, you know, for become gangsters and and all of the stuff that hip hop was going to do, right? They were burning CDs and now it is the music of America. It is the most popular genre in the world. And to see that and to see kind of everybody embracing it, like, yeah, we was here all along, right? Is is kind of funny to me because hip hop was a rebellious type of music that was uh, at first, right, rejected by most of polite society. Does that happen if Kamala's not in the White House? Because I gotta oh, be honest, it seemed like it's a weird thing to happen anyway. It was like, what is what is happening? Like, why, why are we doing this? Like, it was kind of weird and muted, but I think it should be like that. Like, why people don't shouldn't get to celebrate this music that they rejected at first, right? Like, it should be kind of like I don't know if we should gatekeep it, but the people who pushed it and enjoyed it from the beginning should be part of that celebration. And when you think about it, right? Ain't that what hip hop is, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't on the radio, right? Remember, they wouldn't play it on MTV. It was a thing that we kind of spread amongst ourselves with mixtapes and pause tapes. And I think, I mean, kind of the celebration was was what hip hop, a celebration of hip hop should be amongst us, for us, by us. Fair enough. Um, so since we're in the hip hop vein, let's go over a couple hip hop stories real quick. Um, 
Diddy. Ooh, child. Uh, is Diddy out of there? And why would Diddy be out of there? Because of the Cassie filed. A, let's just be clear. Cassie filed a basically a a a federal case against Sean Diddy Combs, alleging years of abuse and uh, manipulation and sexual deviancy and all this stuff against her. And she filed this. She filed this case. It was settled like almost immediately for a substantial amount of money. It seems, but interestingly. Nobody has come to Diddy's defense. Nobody has said words like, well, we can't believe we can't believe Diddy would do something like that. We can't like I don't know. What were your thoughts? What were your thoughts on on this news about 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 Diddy after Cassie files the lawsuit? First of all, there were kind of rumblings like I don't even know if you even had to be an insider to have heard these rumors for years. Right. Like just same with R. Kelly. Right. The same with Bill Cosby. Like it burst into the mainstream, but it wasn't like a really a surprise to anybody. Right. And and it, it kind of reminds me of like, uh, you know, Roman Polanski and who is the record producer back in the days who killed, uh, who, who got convicted. Um, it kind of reminds me of that, like it was a kind of an open secret and eventually someone has to pay the price. And I also think that it's kind of symbolic of a lot of people who have gotten away with a lot of things having to have a reckoning, um, you know, when it comes to their treatment of women and their treatment of, of people in general, right? Um, like they say, when it's done in the dark, I don't even know if this stuff was done in the dark because now it's like everybody's coming out and say, I knew and I'm telling their stories um, as if they knew what was going on all this time. But I think, I mean, we're just seeing a reckoning that people like people exposing something that we kind of knew for years. Do you think hip hop is in the midst of a Me Too movement, you know, kind of around the Russell Simmons, Diddy, like if people started pulling back the layers enough, do you think Drew, I mean, the Drew Dixon documentary, like Russell Simmons has left the country, right? So do you think, do you think that's where we're headed? I don't know if that's where we're headed because, you know, it implies that and there is no evidence of that. that like the rank and file people are going to start caring about how we treat women. And even with with Diddy, with all the evidence that we've seen with Cosby and R. Kelly, there's still people out there that are defending them. So I don't know if hip hop will have this moment when we didn't have it really in society, except for a few people that were talking about it and, and raised the prospect of and the awareness of this phenomenon that really just happens in regular society. And I don't know if it'll hit hip hop any harder than it hit regular society. Time for a quick break. Stay with us. The 80s gave us unforgettable songs from Bob Marley, De La Soul, and Public Enemy. I'm a black man, and I can never be a veteran. Being Black, the 80s is a podcast docuseries hosted by me, Torre, looking at the most important issues of the 80s through the songs of the decade. A decade when crack kingpins controlled the streets, but lost their humanity. You couldn't be like those soft, smiling, happy-go-lucky drug dealers. You had to suppress that. 
It was a time when disco was part of gay liberation. It provided the information to counter narratives that were given to gay people by the straight world. This is the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Join me, Torre, for Being Black the 80s on the Grio Black Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back. Andre 3000 drops a flute album. Huge story because it seemed like it. It's funny. It seemed like this came out of nowhere, right? There was that one story by Rodney Carmichael and NPR, and it seemed like Andre 3000 went to a, a, a journalist that he was familiar with. Rodney had done lots of work with creative loafing around uh, organized noise, Dungeon Family, and then it turns out there's an entire GQ spread. Like there's a whole marketing push for this flute album called New Blue Sun from Andre 3000. Uh, set the at least for a good week. Until the album dropped, it set the internet on fire about the idea of where hip-hop can take things and what hip-hop is, blah, 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 blah. What were your thoughts on Andre 3000's flute album? I th- first of all, like, don't you remember when hip-hop artists used to try to make a, a music album and try to sing? Like, remember Drake, you know, went into an R&B phase and Ja Rule and, you know, people go hard rock. For, you remember Lil Wayne went hard rock for a minute, right? Like people try new things. And as artists, people try new things. And the other thing is like, like there's so many people who had reviews and, uh, you know, comments about this flute album as if they are connoisseurs of flute music, right? I've, I don't know anything about flute music. So I, honestly, man, I hadn't even listened to the flute album because I'm not interested in a flute album just because it's by Andre 3000, just like I'm not interested in hearing Kenny G rap, right? Um, so good for Andre. Like, I, I love to see people trying new things and exploring their artistic boundaries, but I ain't listening to no flute album, bro. Like, I, I'm like on my list of stuff. Like and it's still in my t- top five list of flute albums. Because I don't know the flute album. <laughs> no so flute he's album. still one of the top five <laughs> flautists of all time to me. Oh, man. Um, one last hip-hop related story, and then we'll take a break and get into the final stories. Are you also tired of Will Smith and Jada? Like, I don't want to hear from, I don't want to hear anything from either one of them anymore. Will Smith has a podcast, I think it's on Audible or something, called like 88, Class of 88 or something like that. And just because Will is doing it, I don't even want to listen to it. It could be the greatest podcast of all time. But I'm so Will and Jaded out. Like, Jada out here chasing Tupac's ghost. I need a break from Will and Jada, which is funny because there was a time when they were kind of like our, they were considered goals. I'm not going to say they were personal goals, but they were like Will and Jada, this black love, hip-hop, entertainment love story. And now I think we would all be fine if we never heard from either one of them for 10 years. Yeah, um, you know, I, I joke about this a lot, but this is one time where it's true. I blame white people, man. Like, like nobody, first of all, when Facebook or Meta or whatever you call it got their platform and wanted to try to do a foray into TV shows, like, I feel like white people were in a room and says, who can we get? And they settled on Jada Pinkett because the white people in the room kind of knew that name. And the same thing probably with the publishing industry. The publishing industry just hands out deals to names and then they you got to write something, right? So I feel like some white people in the publishing industry gave Jada a deal. And that forced us to hear about Dead Tupac and Will Smith for, you know, like, I could have stopped at the slap, right? Like, 
after the slap, we could have been done with them until somebody gave Jada a publishing deal. It ain't Jada's fault because she gotta take you gotta take that kind of money, right? Because I'm I imagine that it was a good hefty sum, and then you gotta publish the right. book, publi publicize the book, and fulfill your obligations to that contract. But you know, nobody was out here clamoring like like three months ago. Nobody was sitting here here wondering. I wonder what's up with Will and Jada. What they're doing now? How are they, how is their relationship doing? Nobody was checking for them. They brought that to us, and so and and nobody was nobody in the culture was checking for it. So I don't blame anybody in the culture. I don't blame Jada because she's just doing what she has to do. I blame the people who gave her the publishing deal and the. Red Table Talk when we had to learn. I don't even, the only thing I know about August Alcina is that he slept with Jada. And what happened? Yeah, and then I got into an entanglement with August. That's what I said. An entanglement? Yes. <laughs> I don't know his music. They brought that to us. None of us was checking about checking with who August Alcina was sleeping with until we saw it on Facebook. So I don't blame the culture. Is it even not really of the culture, right? It's because somebody gave her a deal and she had to sell some books. Fair enough. I also don't know a, an August Alcina song. I'm not even sure I could recognize him if he was standing in front of me, to be to be honest with you. Um, I, I'm, so, I'm just, I'm tired of them. Like I just, I really, really do not need anything else from them. They should go on the longest vacation of all time. They have all the money. Like their family is basically turned into a family I'm disinterested in, in the black community. I just don't, they're not, they're not adding, they're not adding anything to the table at this point. It feels what, like it's just all being taken off. One, one thing, one thing that's curious to me though, is like all of this, the books and the documentaries and the stuff we have, even interviews with Tupac, right? Like he said like two things about Jada. Like we heard more about Jada and Tupac from Jada than we did from Tupac his whole life, right? And that's weird to me, like Tupac didn't seem like he was pining away for Jada. Um, maybe she's under some delusion that like he's the one that got away when he was trying to get away. That's deep. It would be really interesting to hear what Tupac thinks about all this. Because, I mean, it, you know, it's funny that you say that because it definitely, I was about to say, it's very clear they had a really close relationship. But I'm not even but sure that's not. true because you're right. Like, Tupac died before social media, before any of this stuff. Like, you know, she, he was on a different world because of Jada. We know that for a fact. He wrote the poem for Jada. You know, but almost every other bit of information that we have about their relationship does come from Jada. And let's not say that it's wrong, but it is interesting because you are right. Like, you know, I I don't know that we hear anybody else really talking about Jada in, in Tupac's relationship. We hear her basically giving us all the info. Um, I don't know that anybody ever asked the Faney about it. Like, was Jada his was, was Jada his homegirl? She I don't know that she ever said it. That's from high school, dude. They like they were like high school real cool friends, like and it's from what she says and the little bit that I've heard, like it seems like she put Tupac in the friend zone and Tupac stayed in the friend zone when they were in high school and like they're my age and they're still talking about this high school relationship, right? Like, I guess, I don't know, man. Like they're the only people we know that went to that high school. So we got to hear about those two. All right, we're going to take one more break. And when we come back, we're going to have a few last stories to talk about that were important for 2023 here on Dear Culture.
All right, we're back here on Dear Culture, and we're talking the biggest moments of 2023 here with Michael Harriet. We've been discussing these moments. Um, I'm going to say a name for you, and then I just want you to go. All right. Carly Russell. <laughs> Carly Russell was uh, a hoaxer who was also unfairly treated because of some for doing something stupid. What we can't say is that we've been unable to verify most of Carly's initial statement made to investigators, and we have no reason to believe that there is a threat to the public safety related related to this particular case. Um, I don't think, like, Carly Russell didn't ask. She did something really stupid, and then it burst into the national headlines, and I thought it was, she, I think she thought it was something that was going to only affect her family and people around her. And she became a villain after becoming a national hero. And so, like, the lesson in Carly Russell is stop doing stupid stuff. Yes. That's it. So here's a really funny anecdote about that. The day that that story happened, I was driving through Birmingham and I was on I-59 headed back to Huntsville, Alabama. I was visiting family in, like, Chambers County, Alabama. So we had to go through Birmingham and go through. So... Maybe an hour after I'm driving through there, we get all this news that a woman's been like kidnapped from blah, blah, blah. I'm like, we were just down there. We could have got kidnapped, y'all. Like, that was our whole thing. But we also weren't allegedly walking around on the highway. And yeah, but she she became a name. Carly Russell became a cautionary tale. And uh, you could throw her name in there and everybody knows exactly who you're talking about, which is probably the worst type of infamy when there's nothing good associated with your name. And it basically comes down to don't do stupid stuff. I think you're 100% she's right. She's white people, that. Susan Smith. That's who yes. she is. Yes. Yes. All right. So we're going to do one last story. And this was probably one of the biggest stories in black America in 2023. Keith Lee hits Atlanta and exposes the entire Atlanta food industry and starts a conversation about black customer service in the food industry. My family asked how long the wait was to be seated. They said an hour to an hour and a half. Yes. Okay. She also said they didn't have any reservations available, so they didn't take out any number, any contact information, nothing. My family then came and relayed that message to me, and I decided to go in myself. Um, Keith Lee is a, a social media... He's a literal influencer, actually. Like, when you think of the term influencer, that is what he is. Like, a lot of people call themselves influencers, and I don't really know if that's as true as it is in this case. My man shows up and says, come through, and people literally flood the gates to the places he goes to he critiques food spots typically a lot of mom and pop types places he goes to the smaller spots and you know he talked like we do right he's this is good got good seasoning oh yeah i'm gonna get this one an eight out of ten this is good mm -mm, i can't rock with this one i've never liked this i don't like this it's not my favorite thing but it's also not my least favorite thing it's all right he comes through atlanta unbeknownst to atlanta he comes through and he goes to a couple places, gets some bad service, and talks about it. It all starts when he's like, I went to this one place, the real milk and honey. As you see, I don't have no food. I couldn't get food, blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I had one of my boys come on to Dear Culture to talk about it. He was like, it was like Sherman coming through Atlanta. Like my man burned the city down and started a conversation that needed to happen. You were in the Atlanta metropolitan area now. What was the Keith Lee experience like? What, what was the Keith Lee experience like when he came through? I feel like Keith Lee did Atlanta a service, right? Um, well, so you have to uh, differentiate because I think that people who are not 
from Atlanta or who have never really spent any time in, in Atlanta think that all of the restaurants are like that. So there's two different Atlantas, really. Like the Atlanta you see on social media and on TV and in rap videos, that's all about flex culture, right? Like everybody's a CEO of something or an influencer or an Instagram model. And then there's like the regular Atlanta where they have real restaurants where people eat at and you might not have ever heard of them and they don't, you know, appear on Instagram. But that, you know, that flex culture is what Keith Lee kind of dismantles. The one with, you know, that you can get a hooker and uh, they have leaves on the wall or ivy on the wall and people are taking pictures there. And people from Atlanta rarely go to those restaurants, right? That's maybe when their friends are in town and they, they, they want to, you know, take them somewhere so they can, you know, memorialize the day. But like nobody is eating at these places in real Atlanta, right? The real people in Atlanta are hustling, trying, you know, they're trying to avoid the, the, the water boys and trying to get something real fast to eat. And what Keith Lee did is explode, expose like just a segment of that whole flex culture where like every place in Atlanta is kind of semi nightclub, semi lounge, semi restaurant. And it has all these weird rules like you can't come here and split up your bill and you you can't seat, be seated until your whole party arrives. Like Atlanta has its own set of rules because Atlanta is not a real place. And Keith Lee exposed that Atlanta is not a real place. Like I don't I can imagine that Keith Lee might find that's where the black mermaids live, right? In Atlanta. That's now we answer the, the question live. that goes back to the beginning. Keith Lee exposed where the black mermaids are. <laughs> Atlanta is an unserious place, bro. I uh it's well said, well done. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for some of the biggest stories of 2023. Let me be clear, everybody. That's not all the stories of 2023. There were a ton of stories in 2023 that we're talking about in black America. But, you know, we could, we could be here all day doing this, and, and I don't think that's what anybody wants. So, you know, I want to thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, Michael, for being here, giving us your insight on 2023. We've had a lot of these conversations in our group texts and all this stuff. Anytime something happens... They pop off. We all talk about it because usually somebody in our universe is writing about these things and addressing them. Um, yeah, I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that, you know, at the end of 2023, Lenny Kravitz came in and tried to crush the buildings on black media. And then you came in and crushed the building that he started about black media. And then he came and dropped the he, he provided the grill with an exclusive statement that basically said he didn't do the thing that he did which I thought was hilarious. And uh, so thank you for your service, my good brother, for uh, <laughs> writing about and exposing the truth. Um, man, I you, blame you, man, because yeah. in this whole thing, we didn't talk about Lenny Kravitz once. He was right. You, you know, man, you're right. We didn't talk about, we ignored Lenny Kravitz all for the way black, through. That's the, for, for hypothetical mermaids, man. See, this is, this is what they're talking about. When we got to give him a Grio Award next year. That's, all, that's, that's the only way to do it. We got to give him a Grio Award. The only way. And I would recommend anybody uh, who listens to this to go back and read Michael's article about Lenny Kravitz. It was hilarious. Uh, and then read the statement that Lenny Kravitz provided exclusively to the Grio in response to it. Because, I mean, when's the la when was the last time Lenny Kravitz provided you an exclusive statement, Michael? 
Nah, man, I hadn't had an exclusive state. Well, okay. So one time a presidential candidate provided an exclusive statement for, for me, but like not on the level of Lenny Kravitz. Like that's way, Lenny Kravitz is way above presidential candidate in my book. I think at the time, th that would probably not be, you're talking about when you, was that the Peter Buttigieg? Because you interviewed him, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, yeah. <laughs> Listen, Michael is that guy. He didn't be anywhere and everywhere. Uh, your book, Black AF History, is out now. It's winning all these awards or it's in the running for awards. I don't know if award season is upon us fully yet. Uh, you would know better than I would, obviously, but the lauds are still continuing to come in. Uh, I, I had an opportunity to do a book talk with you here in Washington, D.C. with Mahogany Books, where I got a chance to on stage talk about how proud I am of you, which is something we don't get to do a lot, enough with the people that we know personally that we're proud of, like publicly talk about how proud we are of them. Um, amazing book. I read the whole thing cover to cover. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's a history book and it's a lot of information in there, but it was really well done. Where can people find your book? What else you got going on that people need to know about? Uh, Black AF History, The Unwhitewashed Story of America is available anywhere books are sold, are sold. Of course, you can find me here at The Griot in writing, The Griot Daily Podcast, and whenever Panama invites me on Dear Culture, I am here, because it's one of my favorite podcasts for real, y'all. Like, I listen, and I always DM him uh, or text him about, like, what I think about each episode so he can tell you that I am a fan of this podcast that you're listening to right now. Yeah, he ain't lying. I genuinely appreciate that support. Uh... It's one good thing about being at the grill. We all actually like each other and believe we're all doing good work. So we all check out each other's work. That's, I mean, what better, what better, what better compliment can you give, give your colleagues? So thank you for being here. Part of this episode. Uh, thank you to everybody who listens. Make sure you check out uh, everything we got going on here at the grill black podcast network. Uh, the grill daily with Mike from Michael Harriet. We got writing black Mike Shakai. You know, these are, some of these are award-winning podcasts, by the way, like being black, uh, the 80s with Toure. I mean, we got some quality. The Blackest Questions with Dr. Christina Greer. Make sure you check all that stuff out. And here's to uh, entertaining and very black 2024. So for everybody listening, thanks for thanks for hanging out. Have a black one. started this podcast to talk about not just what black writers write about but how well personally it's on my bucket list to have one of my books banned <laughs> i know that's probably bad but Ooh. i think Ooh, spicy <laughs> they were yelling n-word go home and i was looking around for the n-word because i knew it couldn't be me because i was a queen <laughs> but i'm telling people to quit this mentality of identifying ourselves yeah. by our work to start to live our lives and to redefine the whole concept of how we work and where we work and why we work in the first place. My, my biggest strength throughout throughout my career has been having incredible mentors and specifically black women. I mean, I've been writing poetry since I was like eight. You know, I've been reading Langston Hughes and James Baldwin and Maya Angelou and so forth and so on since I was like a little kid. Like the banjo was blackly black, right? Mm -hmm. For Many, many, African. many years. Everybody yes. knew. Because sometimes I'm just doing some Sam <laughs> that because <laughs> I just want to do it. An honor to be here. Thank you for doing the work that you're doing. Keep shining bright.
And we and, and like you said, we gonna keep writing black. As always, you can find us on the Grio app or wherever you find your podcasts.